Hello, and welcome to Burbriety, the podcast about sobriety, mental health, and wellness for men, women, and the men and women who love them. I'm your host, Derek Bolin. Let's brober up. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode nine of Brobriety, the podcast about sobriety, mental health, and wellness for men and women and the men and women who love them. Today, we have the pleasure of being joined by Dr. Jeremy Goldberg, also known as Long Distance Love Bombs. Jeremy is the founder of Long Distance Love Bombs, where his mission is to make kindness cool, empathy popular, and compassion commonplace. As part of that purpose, he writes articles, sends emails, hosts retreats and workshops, gives TEDx talks, coaches clients, hosts a podcast, writes books, and in addition to all that, makes spoken word poetry and videos. He also leads an online tribe of more than 35,000 badass humans on Facebook and Instagram. Jeremy, thanks so much for joining us today, man. Yeah, Derek, I'm stoked to be here, man. Thanks for the invite. We always like to lead off with an intentionally broad and intentionally vague question, but I would like to know, who is Dr. Jeremy Goldberg? Who am I? I mean, I have a business card that says I'm a ferocious idealist, a never-giver-upper, compassion-cultivating, day-making change agent. I'm a recovering scientist. I am a writer. I'm a son, a brother. I'm just a dude trying to do some good in his spare time. I'm trying to enjoy my life. I am passionate about epiphanies. I'm passionate about learning. I really love helping people to understand and appreciate the world and themselves and to help get them where they want to go is my little elevator pitch for my coaching practice. So yeah, man, I mean, I'm a, I'm a fan of Manchester United. I, uh, I enjoy trees. I drink a lot of tea. I eat a shitload of peanut butter. I'm, I'm like, I'm many things, right? I, I, contain, I contain multitudes. Definitely multifaceted. A question I have, how did you kind of gravitate towards that purpose? What has the journey of coming to discover who you are and, and what really resonates with you looked like? Yeah, I mean, the short answer is I got tired of learning the hard way, I suppose. As we often do. I, I was sick of spending time at rock bottom and feeling shitty and having a life that was difficult and anxiety inducing. Yeah. And I'm lazy and efficient and I really enjoy learning. Right. So I, I'm a scientist. So I like collecting data, I like information. I like hearing from people who have done it before. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of my own personal development has come as a consequence of my own trials and tribulations. And then I did some postgraduate studies related to behavior change. So I studied psychology and sociology and marketing and messaging and communication and motivation and really dove into the research around all that stuff as a PhD, but also selfishly, I was fascinated by that. And I was intrigued by how we can influence each other's behaviors and how the brain really works. Like, how does life really work? And how do we kind of move the levers of greatest leverage, so to speak. 
Very cool. And now that journey has taken you to uh, a place where you're in, I would say definitely a position of, of influence and, and you can definitely help educate people on becoming just a better version of, of yourself or like finding that purpose or finding the things that resonate with you and genuinely making the world a better place. Yeah, I hope so. Thank you. And yeah, like the reason I started writing was that I wasn't reading the articles and the words that really resonated with me. I wasn't reading the stuff about the topics that I was interested in presented in a way that I found impactful, entertaining, enjoyable. And then it was just like, well, fuck, I'm going to write the words that I want to read. And um, I've continued to do that. I feel like my, my voice has definitely evolved, but the intentions and the ideas are just exactly that to write stuff that I think is cool to share knowledge and wisdom that I've learned that I feel like would be beneficial and helpful for other people. Like I wish that I would have read this years ago when I could have learned the easy way, so to speak. So yeah, like a lot of my work now is, is still grounded in that. Like I'll read a book and have an idea and be like, shit, this is amazing. Like the, why haven't I learned this before? Like <laughs> more people if, need to know about this. More people need to know this shit. Like, like, universe or, or Instagram. Have you guys heard of emotions? Like I just, I'm learning about emotions. Like how come nobody taught me about emotions before, uh, you know, and that's like a silly playful example, but on many levels, it's true. It's like, why, why did nobody teach me about communication or love languages or relationships in general? Like why the fuck did I make it to 30 without having anybody anywhere be like, Hey bro, check out this book. <laughs> this is how you relationship. It's like, Oh my God. You know, and this is, you know, aging myself, but back in the day before we had, you know, world famous therapists in your pocket, sharing profound wisdom on Instagram as one example, or before, you know, men's work was a thing. Like I'd never heard of men's work until year, a couple of years ago. Right. So yeah, I'm just, I'm stoked to be a part of that mission and I'm deeply honored by it. And I feel a responsibility, you know, like a following is a responsibility. Like, like what are you going to do with it? It's a privilege. Right. So I'm just trying to share what I know and what I think can, can help make the world a better place. Really. Yeah, I mean, you can use your following to try and chill cosmetics if that's your yeah. thing, or you can use it to empower oh, yeah. a, a new generation of men to know what feelings are. Um, yeah. That's a good lead in for our first question. So one of our missions on this podcast is to define what it means to be a man. And to get there, we like to take a look at, at what our ideas of manhood initially started as. So I'd love to ask you, what were your early ideas of what a man was and where did those come from? Jeez. I mean, growing up as a kid, I think for most of us, our ideas of manhood come from the media that we are exposed to and the men that we are surrounded by. Right. So for me, I have a dad, I have a step, a stepdad, <clears throat> grandparents and a couple brothers. And so my dad and my stepdad, all the men in my family that I was exposed to primarily were like the stereotypical walls up, not very emotional, 
not very expressive, kind of the Marlboro man, tough guy in, in a generalization. Of course, they're much more than that. But as a generalization, I learned that being a man meant to not cry, that it meant to, you know, take care of those around you. And so that was a really excellent way for me to learn codependency. That's a, a different story. Uh, and then, yeah, like on the media, right? It's like, be strong, be tough, save the world. Don't show any weakness. Don't express how you really feel. Don't be vulnerable. Kind of be this reserved, macho, you know, WWF wrestler, you know, at the time. You know, I was watching a lot of that. And like, that's what it meant to be a man. It's like, body slamming other men and talking shit and being arrogant and cocky all, all this standard stuff i think that many of us can resonate with yeah you raise a really interesting point about the the dichotomy because i think for a very long time and this is something that still persists like there is this expectation societal or internal or otherwise that men need to be caregivers they need to to take care of the people in their lives and they need to, to make sure that they are the provider for their family and they need to keep everyone safe. And then the, the flip side and the dark side of that is like you said, codependency and almost putting ourselves in a position where we need to be needed. How do you think that's evolved as men are becoming more aware of these traits and, and maybe the boundaries around them? Is it still possible for men to occupy that space as taking care of the people around them, but doing so in a healthy way? Yeah, I think so. So I'm a big believer in this idea of just redefining what it means to be a man. Like I'm not, I'm not criticizing masculinity. I'm not criticizing manhood. Like I love men. Like I love being a dude. And I just want to recognize that we're speaking very like heteronormatively, right? And, and gender is a separate topic, but like for a lot of men listening to this, it's how we speak and how we can communicate these ideas. So yeah, I think that, I think men can lead a family, start a business, run a country, run a government. I just think that it can be done in a way that reflects more wholeness, of the lived experience. So what I mean by that is I believe that leadership can be heartfelt, open-hearted, right? We can lead with heart. We can create safety, which I think is a big one. If we as men can create more safety in the world, then I think we're going to have better relationships. We're going to have less violence. All of the other symptoms that we have experienced in, in our world, in our culture, I think will be influenced by a shift in a more open-hearted direction. So I, I don't think that these things are incompatible. I very much think that the ideas that, that I'm talking about are like an evolution of what it means to be a man rather than throwing the whole thing out and starting again, it's like, no, it's fucking awesome that men can be strong and that we can be fierce and we can create stability and we have purpose and responsibility and like we build stuff, right? And we can change the world. Like, fuck yeah, that's amazing. And I feel like at some point we just need to reflect that men have been in charge for 
you know, the positions of power for the majority of, of the history of the planet, right? I mean, of course, there are examples that don't come at me on Instagram and on the internet. Like, of course, there are examples of, of women who are leading. But like when you look at the in America, the the presidents, the vice presidents, the Supreme Court justices, the chiefs of police, the governors, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is like very much a patriarchal society, right? And like, how's things going? Well, uh, there's systematic injustices. There is racism that's still prevalent. We're still at war in a lot of places. The climate is literally burning down. Like, there's some shit that's fucked. And I feel like part of being a man or being a leader is taking responsibility for how things are going. And so I'm kind of looking around at the world like, yo, maybe we should try and do this differently because yes, there's huge advances in medicine and our culture is evolving and it's better than it used to be. Of course, I want to acknowledge that. And it's like, maybe there's a better way to do things. Maybe we can step back and try things a little bit differently. You know, maybe we can listen to the less fortunate amongst us. Maybe like letting the, the black women speak, for example, is a really good idea because they've had the least to gain from these white patriarchal systems that have dominated for centuries. So, I mean, that's a tangent and a complete can of worms that I've just opened. But nonetheless, to wrap that up, it's like, yeah, men are good. I love men. And I think that we should be perpetually looking at new ways of learning and doing and being and growing. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk, Derek. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, you had, and it was funny because you did this post on uh, Instagram, which long distance love bombs, check it out if you're listening to this and you have not yet. You did this post about how and it was almost this post in defense of men. And you prefaced it by saying, I know you said something along the lines of, I know I'm going to take heat for this. Almost like defending men right now is a complete faux pas. And the gist of the post was that a lot of the aspects of like manhood and toxic masculinity that are under fire right now, they aren't actually traits of men at all. They are traits of boys that have not developed to that that next stage. Can you talk a little bit more about that concept and the beliefs behind it? Yeah, for sure. And, and I think you've raised an important point that like, we often talk about the patriarchy and tearing down the patriarchy and like white supremacy. And like, yes, these things do benefit white dudes. And they concurrently create a tremendous amount of suffering. Like men are struggling as a sweeping generalization, like men are not well right now. We lead the categories of violence and mental illness and prisoners, domestic abuse, like there's a crisis ongoing. So I just think it's important to step back and recognize that yes, like we're in charge and we get all the money and we have tremendous opportunities and benefits. And there's also things to highlight in which we're affected by this system as well. And that, I think, is a really touchy, sensitive topic to, to talk about, right? Because it's, it, anyway, I don't want to put my foot too far in my mouth, but I just think it's worth flagging. Is that like, all is not well. It's not like candy land, right? In I could tell you were kind of dancing around because it's hard, especially like, we're both white guys. But yeah, I'm a white dude, yeah. We don't want to 
almost like victimize ourselves and say like, 100%. like it's, it's hard to acknowledge that yeah, men are absolutely suffering and not also acknowledge that we're totally saying that from a position of like immense privilege. So much privilege that it's bleeding out my ears right now. Like tremendous, ridiculous, stupid privilege. And like, I have a hundred percent, you know, biases and blind spots. And I'm sure that I've already misspoken in this podcast and certainly this year. And I look forward to doing the work and I'm committed to doing the work of reading and learning and growing. So that is an important caveat. And I think until we recognize that the system that we have is negatively influencing men, full stop, it's going to be very difficult to change that system, right? If we only focus on the opportunities, the benefits, the power, the prestige, et cetera. So that's one thing. And then the post that I did was essentially like recognizing or just throwing this little hand grenade out into the internet, suggesting that a lot of the men, quote unquote, who are in leadership positions are not fully expressed, wholehearted, initiated men. They are the kids from fucking high school that used to run amok in the halls. They're just in the halls of Congress and the halls of power now. They're calling names. They're bullying. They're not thinking about other people. They're not concerned with empathy and compassion. They're not really focused on how they can help those disadvantaged amongst us, those who have mental, physical disabilities, those who are born into positions of poverty. Like, I don't see that, at least. Sweeping generalization, of course, and this is, this is going to get me in, in trouble, likely, but, but like a lot of the men that I see being worshipped, admired, um, governing in political positions... I see the same kind of childlike behaviors that I saw when I worked as a preschool teacher, when there was pointing and shaming and um, us against them mentality. There was name calling. There was deep insecurity, right? A desire to belong, a lot of fear. And like, I see those same kind of situations at play from a political standpoint in America, right? And so what I say is, what I mean is that I think that we as men can shift and hold ourselves to a greater standard of accountability and responsibility to show up in this world in a bigger, more impactful, more powerful way. And one way to do that is to open your fucking heart up and lead from that place. And that's challenging and it's scary and it's difficult, but I feel like true leadership requires true heart. And so, yeah, what I, on the other side of that, like, what does it mean to have like genuine open-hearted male leadership? It's like being okay to cry in front of people is one example, right? Like why are, why are more men in positions of power not crying? Like, where's your fucking heart? Grieve. Grieve in front of, in front of us. Like, I want to fucking, I want to feel your leadership. Like, I want to feel your heart, right? I want to believe you when you talk about ruling for all of us, not just some of us. I want to feel you when you talk about 
victims and violence and war. Like, I want to feel that. I believe that that world is possible. I believe that that world will benefit us all tremendously. And like, that's the, that's the vibe that I'm trying to get out into the world. And like, I, I am not putting my hand up as an example. It's like, do not vote for me right now. <laughs> like, I'm not saying that I'm like this enlightened switched on being, but I have, I'm somebody who has done the work myself and has, um, has seen the impacts on my family and my relationships and my friendships and just with strangers randomly interacting with me, the more that I can do the work internally, the more positive external shifts that I enable and experience. It's interesting because you are doing the work on the ground level. So you're helping maybe just normalize all this shit you're talking about, like feeling emotions and, and speaking from the heart and even like being in touch with what your emotions are, being able to verbalize those and possessing empathy and, and compassion for other people. So I think the change needs to start at an individual level. Like we as men all need to do that work for ourselves and then hold the men that we interact with directly accountable. And then that there's going to be the trickle down effect of, of that, right? Like if I have a son, he's seven years old. If he grows up knowing that it's okay to do all of these things, then when he is in a leadership position, he will be able to lead that way. For um, sure. Yeah. It's like about, about normalizing a different suite of actions and behaviors, right? Yeah. Yeah. You had, uh, you said an interesting word, and I think you've said it a couple times, but you're talking about uninitiated men. And I want to seize on that initiated, what that means and what rites of passage exist for boys becoming men now in our patriarchal Western white society what do we see taking place right now to kind of help usher those boys into manhood i would love to hear your <laughs> thoughts man because i've i've been thinking about this and i've i've written about it a little bit like what is the initiation process in our modern western north american culture in which we decide that a boy is now a man is it when you turn 10 is it when is it an age is it when you get your driver's license is it when you own a car is it when you graduate high school is it when you start high school is it when you kill a boar is it when you get a home run i don't know what the answer is and i think that that is problematic is it when you touch a boob for the first time is it when you have sex is it when you impregnate someone? Is it when your parent dies? Like, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. And I think that my own personal lack of clarity when I was growing up resulted in me sort of just not really maturing at the rate that I probably could have. So I don't know the answer to that, but I think it's an important discussion to be having. It, you know, like for a, from a female perspective, it's like they they get their period, they 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 change, right? So maybe is it, for us, is it the same? Is it puberty? Is it hair on our armpits? I don't know. But so that's one point. And the second point is like when we start to become a man, what does that mean for us? Like what shifts? 
What responsibilities do we get gifted? How do we change the way that we show up in the world? What is expected of us? I, I don't believe that as a society we have something like that. I know that at 18 in America, I am able to join the military and go put bullets in strangers, potentially, and defend freedom and start wars. But I also know that I'm not allowed to buy a beer. That's weird. I, I mean, I could vote for the president, but I, I can't drink a shot of whiskey. Like, that's peculiar to me. And like, again, that's a whole other can of worms and a weird thing. But I remember growing up thinking that. Like, I had to register for the draft and like potentially be sent off to, to fight. And I'm like, I can't have a beer? Like, what the fuck? That's weird. So yeah, I mean, that's all to say, I think that in the initiation process, when you look at indigenous cultures, um, various other places around the world where they have this thing, it's like, yo, the men of the village go out and they have an experience with the, the kid who's becoming a man and they return and there's, they're different. And they hold them to a regard and to a higher standard. It's like, you are not a boy anymore. Like, welcome. You've done this really hard, challenging things. And the community of elders has created this practice that recognizes that you are changed. And I think in this culture, too, it's, I mean, a whole other thing is I don't necessarily see us having a lot of elders who are speaking wisdom wisely from a place of heart and truth and community. I think there's a lot of polarization. There's a lot of ego. It's, I mean, the whole thing is quite weird, right? The, the world is a, is a weird fucking place. <laughs> Understatement <laughs> a, of the year. <laughs> it is a, we, we live in a deeply weird system, right? A suite of systems. So I don't know. I guess I'm interested in asking questions and proposing ideas and just beginning to initiate dialogues and conversations. Like, like again, I don't have any of this stuff figured out. Like, I, I don't have the way forward. I mean, I have ideas about it, but I think that it's important that we start talking about this kind of stuff rather than, hey, did you see what Jenny wore to that award show? Or, hey, did you learn that Frank cheated on his wife and it's on the front page of the magazine? And like, hey, uh, the, the Detroit Lions are playing this. Like, and I love soccer and like, I get it. Like, we're, we're just focused on, on all these others superficial trivialities while the, while literally the world is burning and people are suffering and struggling. And I feel like kind of put my hand up like, yo, uh, maybe can we just like take a weekend and talk about men, uh, solve this problem. Maybe yeah. we can start to explore some of this stuff. Uh, so yeah, I don't know, man. I'm just, I'm trying to figure it out with the rest of us. I just see a tremendous amount of unnecessary pain and cruelty and suffering. And I feel like speaking to that and trying to figure out a better way to do things. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because talking about the the rituals and the initiation, like it is, you highlighted like 10 or 15 different examples there. And it's so subjective. For me, I'm going to say me anecdotally, I graduated high school. I wasn't a man. I went to college. I wasn't a man. I had a long-term girlfriend, wasn't a man, had a kid, wasn't a man, got, got a career, wasn't a man. I honestly don't feel like 
I really started becoming a man until I was 35 years old and I sobered up and I started looking at myself and my life for the first time. And that was the divide for me was when I just became self-aware and there were teachers and, and mentors along the way, but we don't have, there's just an entire generation of men out there who are just rudderless or they're being they're chasing goalposts that they think signify an, an entrance into manhood. And maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. But I think there's more we need to start doing societally to, to say, this is what being a man is, and this is how we're going to help you get there. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree. And, and still, for one example, strength. Like, men are meant to be strong. And it's in my perspective, it's not necessarily... It's like, how much can you bench? It's like, hey, you know, how are you? Tell me about the worst day of your life. Like, you're strong? Cool. Tell me about your last relationship and why it ended. Tell me about heartbreak and grief. Tell me you miss your dad. Like, that's a different kind of strength entirely. And I think that kind hearts are strong hearts as well. It's like, you're strong? Like, Go and see that, that homeless person on the street over there. Like, see them as a real human with real dreams and real pain and real struggle. Like, that's a different kind of strength, right? So, so when I talk about redefining manhood, I suppose I'm, I'm discussing this expansion of what it means. Like, it's not just about lifting weights that makes you strong. It's how big your heart is. It's about how kind your eyes are. It's about the amount of safety that you create when you enter a room. It's like, can people trust you? Can you trust you? That's a big right? one. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I totally relate to you. Like I was in my thirties when I was like, you know, still binge drinking and going to parties. I mean, part of it was I was in school forever because I got a PhD. So I just, I collected all the degrees. And it's like, I was a student, right? And it was, I, I wasn't married. I had no children. I, it was very easy to fall into that. Like, oh, let's go to parties and, and live my best life. And I had a, I had a lot of fun, Derek. I don't want to throw that away. There's a very appealing aspect to not growing up and not taking responsibility and not caring about all of the stuff that I just mentioned. It's very appealing. I had a tremendous amount of fun. I created some wonderful memories. Like, and, and at some point, like being Peter Pan kind of lost its shine, so to speak. And I was, I was realizing that I've lived all the way around the world. I've ran away from my, myself and my feelings for as long as possible. I've collected a goodie bag filled with ridiculous memories and mementos and i'm still carrying around this heaviness this ache this wound right this shadow it's like ah oh, fuck all right should probably start looking at that <laughs> and then you know everything changed everything started to shift so yeah i relate to what you said so we're talking about what we can do on the the macro level to start helping change some of these perceptions and helping men be open and, and vulnerable and lead from a place of compassion. What are some things that we can do? I'm Joe podcast listener right now tuning in to the latest episode of Burbriety. I want to know what I can do at the micro level to start 
making that shift in my own life. Like you're a guy who's been there, you've lived it, you've done it yourself. You're helping other people to do it. What do you say to them? I would say to them, well done, first of all, for even considering change. Like that's a huge first step. And I, like as someone in sobriety, like you would realize, like when you get to that place, hey, I need to make some changes. Like that's huge. That is a big achievement in and of itself. And so I would say if you're listening to this podcast, like, well done. You're listening to a rad podcast and you've made it this far through all of my nonsense and my ideas, like high five, bro. Like you're doing it. So you're already on the path. You're already on the way. You know, your, your journey has begun. What I would, I would say would be, it wouldn't be as much as what I would say as what I would ask. So I would say things like, you know, what do you think it means to be a good man? And where are you showing up in the world? You know, what are a list of attributes that you identify with living your best life? Do you value honesty? Do you value integrity? Do you value presence? Do you value love, adventure, connection? And how are you showing up or not in ways that prioritize those things? You know, how is your health? Do you get enough sleep? Do you eat enough broccoli? You know? I can say no uh, to either of those things, like right now. You know, <laughs> like, do you drink enough water? Are you overweight? You know, what needs to shift? What would be, like, what's, what is your best self look like currently? And then what would be the thing that you need to do today, literally today, when you finish this podcast, that could help you get to where you want to go? Like, what's the plan? What are you going to commit to? What's the consequence if you break your commitment to yourself? And this might be, I mean, I have a whole program called Get Shit Done 101, which is about setting habits and rituals. And, and one of the things I talk about, which is from the scientific research, is starting as small as possible and then building momentum. So it's like, you want to get fit? Awesome. Do three burpees today and then do three push-ups, and then do three sit-ups and then congratulate the shit out of yourself because you just worked out. And then tomorrow, do four. And the day after, do five. And if you don't work out, have a consequence where you have to, I'm coaching this one woman and she hates pickles. So she had to eat a pickle the other day because she missed her goal. I'm like, eat the fucking pickle. Let's see it. <laughs> Go get it. Or you have to donate money to some campaign that you hate. You have to, you know, so having a friend to support you. So it's about getting clear basically on where you want to go. It's about clear it's about getting clear on where you are now and being fucking honest with yourself and admitting, yo, I'm letting myself go a little bit. And that's okay. Practicing acceptance and gratitude and grace with where you are right now, because we all can improve a little bit. We're all, you know, we all have our little blind spots, our little excuses and our distractions. So being loving and accepting with where you are now and you've identified where you want to go. And then it's like, what's the plan? You know, how are you going to do it? What are you going to do? Where are you going to start? Right. And I find, I mean, you, I could talk about this for an hour, but it's very effective to break things up into different categories in life. So your health, 
your relationship, if you're married or in a partnership with someone, your kids, your contribution to society, your business, your money, right? And so if you start to look at your life in different chunks, like different divisions, it helps to enhance that clarity and reduce the overwhelm. Because so many of us and so many clients I work with, it's just like, I don't know. I don't know where to start. My life's a mess. I want to make changes. Ah, help. And it's like, okay, that overwhelming sensation. If you imagine like a, a house that you just had a house party in, it's like a, it's a cluttered, messy mess. And it's like, where do I even begin? And the same way that you would begin to clean a house is you just fucking, you start. Pick a room. Yeah. Pick a room pick a piece of paper off the ground and guess what you're cleaning. And it's the same thing with personal development or another analogy is like going to the gym, right? It's like you go to the gym and you put reps in and you get stronger with the more reps that you put in and you get stronger. If you keep going to the gym, that's how it works. And so if you want to get braver or more honest, or more vulnerable, or more loving, or more grateful. It's the same practice. You have to put the reps in. And just like on January 1st to January 10th, a lot of people put the reps in to lose the weight, and they join the gym, and then it gets hard, and then it gets uncomfortable, and then the voices in your head get real loud, and your reclining chair with Netflix in the beer starts whispering sweet nothings to you, like... Hey, buddy, you've been so good for a week. Just take a little break. It's like, that's not going to work, right? So you get off track and then you're back where you started. And so it's not rocket science, Derek. It's like, how do you stay sober? It's like, you don't, don't fucking drink. Yeah. <laughs> and you just keep doing that. And you keep not drinking. And of course, that's simplistic, but it brings up fears and traumas and voices and distractions and it brings up your shit and that's really uncomfortable and it's going to be uncomfortable to change your life that is undoubtedly something that you will confront you're going to be very uncomfortable and guess what awesome that's how you grow it's very uncomfortable to go to the gym and on your last set in the last rep, you're struggling and your muscles are screaming at you. So guess what? They're getting bigger. That is how strength occurs. So to the person listening, like, yo, well done. You're on your way. Get clear on where you want to go. Get clear on the plan. And then do the plan. And, and I would add, make a plan for when you get off track to immediately get back on track right? Because you're going to miss a day. You might miss a goal. You might get lazy, whatever. It's like, what's the plan when that happens, right? And so I think for, for sobriety, at least my knowledge is you have a mentor, you have groups that you can go to, there are phone numbers that you can call so that you, you make that plan ahead of time. So that if you slip up, you're like, oh, hang on. I know what to do here. It's the same thing with personal development and trying to plan your life, right? Plan for the worst, hope for the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that's where I would say. And, and like, go to therapy, hire, hire a coach, go to meetings, surround yourself with a community of people who are also doing the work that you are doing. It, it's very inspiring. 
Like I'm in a men's group and they're all a bunch of fucking ninjas. They are badass dudes who are kicking ass. And I look around at that group and I'm like, whoa, like I don't want to be the one that's not kicking ass. Like I don't want to be the one that didn't do the work for the week. I surround myself with people that call me forward. Like my partner included. Like my partner has the highest integrity of nearly anyone I've ever met to the point of being annoying. And I'm like, ah, I don't want to be a good man today. Like, can I just be an okay man today? And it's like, she prides herself on queen energy. And what that means is I have to show up as a fucking king. Like, I want to be treated like a king. Guess what? Do the life that a king does. It's not easy to run a kingdom. It's not, it's, it's not as, as simple as it looks, right? So hold yourself to that standard. Like you want to attract a queen? You want, you want your partner to treat you like a fucking king? How do kings live? What do kings say? How do kings clean the bathroom? How do kings talk to their kids, right? It's like holding yourself to that standard, to that level of accountability and responsibility, right? And, and recognizing the agency that lives in your fucking bones. It's like, sort your shit out. Fucking, what are you waiting for? Do it, you know? And so all those things that I just mentioned are ways to, divide, to design your environment around you, your external forces and factors to give you the greatest chance of success, right? And you want to stay sober? Don't buy beer. Don't go to parties where they're drinking. You want to stop smoking weed? Don't hang out with your fucking pothead friends anymore. It's like, that's going to be very uncomfortable. It's going to be very uncomfortable when your buddy's like, hey, come over. We're going to watch the game and, and get high and smoke, smoke some marijuana. Uh, no, sorry. Like, I'm going a different way in life. It's going to feel potentially isolating. You might feel lonely. You might feel really sad that you've let your friends down. You might feel really scared about what the future is going to look like. Guess what? That's normal. High five. You're growing. Keep fucking going. It gets better. I, I promise you it gets better. Your life gets easier and you'll look back and be really proud of yourself. 100%. I love that. And a couple things that stood out in that for me are like, just getting intentional about your life. Like you said, I think it's really easy for everyone to look again, like take this macro view of their life. And you got the kids, you got the job, you got the wife, you got the house, you got whatever else you're doing with your friends on the weekends. And just getting really intentional about who you want to be and, and what really resonates with you and, and pursuing that. And then the other thing is, holding yourself accountable. And that is, I've talked about this on the podcast before, but like that was the most damaging part of drinking for me is that I just lost all, all faith in myself. I lost the ability to hold myself accountable. I lost trust that I could hold myself accountable. So being like recognizing that, yeah, ultimately no one is responsible for your shit except you you are going to have to be the person who who keeps you on the path and keeps you accountable to your goals and making sure that you have the mechanisms there are people who can help for sure but but it needs to be you that is is making those changes and making sure they get done yeah that that's so confronting for someone to hear 
It's like, uh, but I don't, <laughs> I don't want to do that. That sounds hard. And you're like, yeah. Welcome to being a grown up, dude. That's it. That's your entrance into manhood is finally accepting that like everything in my life, I am responsible for. I can't, can't point the finger at anyone else. I can't blame it on my kids or my wife or my job. I, I am responsible for it. That is the secret sauce. Like I, I have an entire module in an online program that I made all about radical personal responsibility. It's like, it's that take responsibility for your life, your relationships, your brain, your thoughts, it's like you're in charge and that responsibility is a tremendous privilege and a tremendous opportunity because you're in charge. You can do whatever the heck you want. Like if you want to sit around and get drunk and watch football and you know, that's cool. That's totally okay. No judgment at all. But if in doing that deep down, you know that you're, letting yourself down or that you've got this big dream or that you could be a better father or a better partner or a better lover. You need to deal with that. Like your choice, no harm either way, but like own that shit, take personal responsibility. Yeah. Like, you know what? I want to let my kid down this weekend so that I can go and get drunk with my friends. Like, that's fine. That's totally cool. But like, you need to own that choice. And, and I think what we're suggesting is like, make better choices and your life will get better. That's, that is the secret sauce, I think, more than anything. Think about what you're doing and make the best choice for you, yeah. not just the one you want. And, and that's not to say that that better choice will always be the best choice. And so I've made many better choices that it turns out in retrospect were terrible choices. <laughs> Where I was like, you know, like, I'm doing good. I'm taking responsibility. I'm going to do it this way. And it was like, me now looks back at me then and was like, oh, bro, that was so adorable when you thought that that was the right decision. Like, but I was acting at the level of knowledge that I had. And you gain knowledge by making really terrible decisions. That is how you learn. Like, as a child, when you touch the stove, really terrible decision. But at the time, it was like the best decision. You're like, what's that thing? I want to touch that. I want to learn about the world. And it's like, oh, fuck, I burnt the shit out of my hand. Guess what? You didn't touch the stove again. You did not right? do it again. And so I think that's the, the same analogy applies in life. It's like I've touched many stoves many times throughout my life repeatedly for years. And then I, finally, some part of me is like, hey, maybe um, let's not do that this time. And I'm like, what? But if I don't touch the stove, what will all my other friends who love touching stoves think about me? And what will I do on Friday? Normally I go and touch stoves. I should do an Instagram post about this. That's a, yeah, you should. There you go. Inspiration has struck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Instagram, so I, I love all of that. The original impetus for me reaching out to you is you posted this fucking incredible spoken word poetry piece about growing up the son of an alcoholic mother. And because this is a, a podcast about sobriety, I wanted to reach out to you and be like, okay, as people who struggle with substance use, I've often thought about 
the impact that that my drinking and my drug use had on my child. But I wanted to hear it from you and see if you could expound on that a little bit. Again, like to everyone listening, please go find Long Distance Love Bombs on Facebook or Instagram and watch this. I watched it like three or four times, brought me to tears every time. It was just so well done and you were so open about it. But I would love to hear about just what that experience was like for you growing up, the son of an alcoholic mother. I mean, it sucks. <laughs> um, I, I mean, that's a, that's a reaction, but it, I mean, it was challenging, right? Um, I, I love my mom. We have a good relationship now. She's a, a beautiful person, strong, like one of the most heroic people I know. She's now eight and a half years sober and used to be on her deathbed, like quite literally was in hospital from alcoholism. So growing up, I mean, geez, that's a can of worms. From my mom specifically, a lot of the alcoholism impacts were when I was older. So when I was like out of the house, right? So she was, she kind of went more downhill, quote unquote, like when I was an adult. But that sense of deep love combined with helplessness, I think has been the biggest lesson for me of, of like seeing so clearly what is happening and wanting so badly to change it. And yet at the same time, failing, not being able to get through, watching with complete helplessness. Um, like I have a line in that piece of like, of slowly watching a car crash in the rain and remembering the wreckage raised me to be brave. It's like, it's like watching a slow motion, like in the movies when it's like, no, like with the, the characters, like seeing what's happening, you're like, no, but you can't stop you can't do anything. You can't stop the damage and destruction from occurring. Right. And like that for me was one of the, the hardest parts but also one of the most profound lessons, right? Like I learned a lot about acceptance from my mom's battle. I learned a lot about appreciation. I learned a lot about boundaries of being more vocal and more intentional about how I live my life and, and like what I can do and what I cannot do or what I choose not to do in those circumstances. But I mean, it's it's difficult. It's very difficult, um, as I'm sure you know, and I'm sure that your loved ones know, and anyone listening, like it's a it's a hard thing. It's a really hard thing, and I don't think that sugarcoating it helps anybody. Like it it affects all the people that she loved. It affected my siblings. It affected my relationship with my siblings. It affected my relationship with virtually everybody. And in saying that. Like I, I grew a lot as a consequence of that. And I learned, a, oh my gosh, I learned a lot. Like as you do, like rock bottom is essentially a library. It's like, pick up a book, bro. You're here. Here you go. Here's a book about acceptance. I'm like, ah, I don't want to read it. It's like, guess what? I'm going to shout this book in your fucking face all day long until you start to listen to what this book has to say. It's like, okay. Oh, a couple months later, oh, you're back, bro. Good, good to see you again. Here's a book about um, personal responsibility. So, I mean, 
I've learned a lot through my life from all of the worst moments in my life. And I have another poem that I did. And one of the lines is the best people that I know have been hurt the worst. They've just made the best of it. And so I think in the moments, it's really challenging to see those kind of silver linings. And it's really difficult to imagine that this is actually maybe one of the best things that's ever happened to you. Um, and in the case of my mom's struggles, like her going to rehab was one of the best things that ever happened to her. At the time, I remember thinking, oh my God, this is like one of the worst times of my whole life. Like my mom is in rehab. This is a rock bottom. And on reflection, you know, eight and a half years later, like that was one of the best things that's ever happened to my life. Like my mom went to rehab and she got clean and she stayed clean and she's still clean and she's a different human now. It's like, wow. So, so what I mean by that is recognizing that we just never know how it's going to turn out. Like I would have bet no money on my mom staying sober for eight years. Zero. I would have bet zero money on that. That's just how it was. It wasn't like uh, I had a lot of confidence. It wasn't like I was feeling optimistic. I was preparing myself for relapse immediately, right? And it didn't happen because we never know what exactly is going to happen. Like when nothing is certain, anything is possible. And it just might work out. Like this just might be the time that you or your loved one might stay sober. This just be the, this might be the exact right time for something miraculous to occur today. We just don't know, right? I wrote this thing a while ago about the day before everything changes. So like we often focus about on the, um, the day that everything changes, right? It's like, it's the day that I met my soulmate and like the day that I met my future wife and the day that I won a million dollars or the day that I got my dream job or the day that I, you know, got the publishing deal or whatever. But we never talk about the day before that. And the day before that is a completely normal, boring, unspectacular day, just like all the fucking rest. And we had no idea that tomorrow was going to be the day that everything changed. And I like to keep that perspective. And I think it's powerful to remember that, that tomorrow, literally tomorrow, literally today, in the coming hours, your life might radically change forever for the better, for good. Holy shit. Like tomorrow might be the day that you meet your soulmate. Like tomorrow might be the day that, that healing occurs. Tomorrow might be the day that you read a book and it's like, oh my God, I get it now. Tomorrow might be the day anything miraculous occurs. Yeah, like you said, like the hindsight now gives you the opportunity to look back and say, yes, this was all traumatic and, and really fucking hard in, in, in the moment. But you have the opportunity now to look back and say, and find the positives in all of it. And I think that is because your mom is such a success story and, and she's done the work and fucking yeah. good for her. Like eight and a half years, that's huge. And I don't doubt that you're extremely proud of her and, and I hope she's very proud of herself as well. Yeah. And and another aspect of that is like, I've gone to the the meetings where you get the chip, right? It's like you, you go to AA. My mom's open about going to AA. So it's not like I'm blowing her cover. Uh, <laughs> I know it's anonymous, but like you go to... 
go to AA. And, and my recollection or, or my, um, before dealing with all of this and going to AA meetings, my impression, that's the word, was that AA meetings were dull, gray, in this grungy, abandoned room. And it was like really low vibe and miserable. And there's a bunch of addicts, you know, shuffling around eating crackers. And it was just like, wah, wah. And I couldn't, and, and I, I mean, I'm just being honest. I'm speaking my truth. And I could not have been more wrong if I tried. Like my experience with going to AA meetings has been nothing short of incredible. Uh, it felt like a family reunion. The vibe was so high. Uh, people were so polite and so welcoming and so encouraging. And I've seen some of the most incredible talks that I've ever seen in my life at random AA meetings that I've gone to with my mom to get her sobriety chip. Incredible humans who have made me feel ridiculous things in my body. Like, oh my God, powerful stories. So if, if you're listening and you have... Um, been avoiding going to a meeting, like go to a meeting. Like I, I recall, this is kind of bad, but Derek, I, like, I recall leaving AA meetings and being like, I want to stop drinking just so I can come back to these fucking meetings. Like I, I want to be part of this group. Just so you right? can be included. Yeah. I want to be included. Like I, I'm like, Oh, I'm the guy that kind of drinks. Like I still get drunk and all these people are vibrant and welcoming. And like, you know, some of them have, it was their first meeting because you stand up and introduce yourself. And it's like, hey, you know, I've been sober for a week. But even that, like the amount of respect that I had for those people standing up and being in a meeting and being like, hey, you know, I'm three days sober. It's like fucking right on. Like so much pride and so much awe of the courage and the determination that it takes to show up in that way. Uh, I think should not be overstated and it was not overstated at those meetings those people were fucking celebrated and um and it was beautiful and so i think that in a roundabout way the aa meetings that i went to are creating that sense of leadership and community that we talked about at the beginning where hearts are open compassion is abundant right empathy is just ingrained in every person there um it's a very whole experience. It is. It does not feel superficial. Like they did not talk about the weather. It was like, how are you? Like, I see you, you are welcome here. You belong here. You do not need to be a certain version of yourself to, to earn belonging. Like it is just intrinsically given like welcome. And that is a significant part of our society too. That is also flawed is that we have to earn our belonging acceptance by this weird um francis weller calls it the, the disease of specialness it's like versus hey come on into the village we love you we, we want you here well and the interesting thing about that is that sense of belonging is ultimately i think what drives a lot of people to substances or alcohol so if we could just default to that like Everyone is accepted. Everyone is open. Everyone is vulnerable. Everyone feels safe to do that. I, I do truly believe that, that the world would be a better place. Amen. We just have to do it. On that note, 
I'm going to give you one last question. I can't thank you enough, Jeremy, for everything, like your insights and, and just showing up and sharing your thoughts and your experience with us on this podcast. Super grateful for that. I would like to know, has your idea of what it means to be a man changed? If you could go back in a time machine and go tell young Jeremy what it really means to be a man in the year 2021, what would you say to him? Okay. I mean, I think at the heart of it is the cliche, simplistic mantras of like, bro, stop trying so hard. Like, you're worthy. You're lovable. Like, you belong. Like, it's okay. You know? <laughs> and, and like, maybe also go to therapy. Like, I probably still need to go to therapy. But yeah, I think at the heart of it is self-love and self-acceptance. And I think that that's kind of the the key to unlocking a lot of the things that I wanted at that time. And the things, I think it's a key to unlocking a lot of the things that we all desire. You know, we all want to be good partners. We want to be happy most of the time. We want to matter. We want to belong. We want to enjoy our lives. We want to laugh a lot, right? It's very difficult to do all those things when we deny who we truly are and how we truly feel. And, and when we try to pretend or put on a mask and be something that we're not um, in the pursuit of those things, it's, it's just, it's insustainable. Um, it doesn't work indefinitely. So I think I would just be like, bro, I love you. It's going to be Okay. Like your life's going to be fucking dope. All right, man. If people want to learn more about you or your work or what you're doing, where can they go? Sure. So if you are still listening after all of that, <laughs> definitely like, bought in like, yeah, this is like a wow. Audience. wow. You might be interested in my podcast. So I have a podcast that has over a hundred episodes with thought leaders and writers and New York Times bestsellers, and it's called the Long Distance Love Bombs Podcast. I'm also on Instagram. It's my primary platform at Long Distance Love Bombs. You can find me at longdistancelovebombs.com. I do coaching. I lead workshops. I have online stuff. I wrote a book that's a little book of encouraging insights and poems and mantras called It'll Be Okay and You Will Be Too. And yeah, I think that's it. Cool. If there's anything else, I will uh, definitely throw it in the show notes. But uh, otherwise, Jeremy, thank you again so much for your time, man, and, and for the work you are doing to hold yourself and other men accountable and make us all better. You know, it's just in case you don't get a claim for it often enough, like it is very much appreciated and, and you are making a difference thank from the you. bottom of my heart. Thank you. Thank you as well, man. And, and like, congrats to you and what you're building, like five years of sobriety and a family and a podcast, like, this is good. This is really good. This is what we need more of. So I'm honored and, and stoked to support. So thank you. Right back at you. Wicked. Thank you. And uh, thanks to all our listeners uh, for tuning in. We will see you next week. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Bribriety. Reminder to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if there's a guest you'd like to hear from, email us at bribriety.podcast@gmail.com or message us at van underscore sober on Instagram. We'll see you next time.